Let's do it. Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Get you a little free automotive advice. Give us calls. Of course, that is area code 225. If you're out of the local calling range. That's right. <laughs> you laugh because I bumbled and stumbled on that last week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been practicing all week, man. I got it down now, you know. Everybody calls a shot, they get the same thing, That's right? That's right. 20 years, I just about got this down. Well, I'm, uh, Almost. <laughs> figure the buttons out, you'll be, be good. Then that would be great. That would be great. I, don't, I just don't know if I'm going to live long enough to get all that done. There you go. <laughs> hey, you know, just in case you don't care to call in, something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website and get your questions answered there. Address is www.agcoauto.com. A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O. And what does that stand for? Altazan's Garage Company. There you go. <laughs> Every day of the week. That's right. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and give us a call. Of course, you can send me an email if you have a particular question, or you might look on the auto repair information section where you will find two databases, actually three. There's a glossary. There's also a short to the point vehicle question section. And Correct. then there is the detailed topics, which is much, much more information on any specific topic. Put one on there this morning on vehicle odors. Smells really? that you might get in a vehicle. Yeah. And that can go anywhere from a gas smell that you smell maybe when you start the car or when you turn the car off to a kind musty, of a sweet, musty smell, smell, sweet smell. Right. Like maple syrup sometimes. Right. What is that? <laughs> Sulfur dioxide, which smells like rotten eggs. Right. All these type of smells, how to diagnose them and what to do to get rid of them. There so, you go. Good article. Sounds you might like want it. to pop on there, see what you think. Lots and lots of other good, good information on there. It's www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines with Roger. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, sir. I called you last week. I don't want to ruin my, too many calls, but I mean, I need a follow up on that. I asked you about putting a change of transmission fluid in a 2007 Ford pickup truck. All right, sir. And you said the torque, them, no, no, what? The valve that? bodies, bolts, yes, sir. How, how, what was the torque on that? I don't know it off the top of my head. If you want to send me an email, I'll look it up for you. Okay, and one more question. Mm-hmm. If I want to change the battery and thing, is it a. Uh, can I do that myself? Can I just, how do I do that? Take a one pose at a time? And- well, Roger, it is best if you can come up with some type of way where you can keep the battery power alive while you're changing the battery. In other words, at AGCO, what we do, we've got a jumper battery. We put across it when we change it. Mm-hmm. The reason being, when you disconnect that battery, mm-hmm. you're going to lose all of the diagnostic information you need. Right. Uh, you're going to lose all your transmission adapt points. You're going to lose your idle function. All you, now, learned, all you learned memory. Right. It will all regenerate. Right. But it takes a while. If your inspection stickers do or anything like that, you're going to have an issue. I mean, absolute worst-case scenario, just disconnect it and go ahead and do your business, and it's going to regenerate. I got you. Best thing, we've got an adapter that hooks into the OBD2 connector. It has a built-in battery, and it keeps power up on it. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, if you like doing it, that's great. I don't think you'll save any money doing it yourself because we don't right. charge anything to install a battery anyway. We, we carry Motocraft batteries. We put it in there for you at no okay. charge. So. Sometimes it's just wise to just go ahead and let somebody else do it for you. But if you want to do it, you like doing it, well, that's great. But if you can preserve that memory, I think you're going to be happier long term. Right. You're right. You're right. So you do have the batteries in. Yes, sir. We keep the motocraft batteries in stock. And you have the belt to go in that truck? Yes, sir. If I don't have it, I can get it from Ford real fast. I got you. Thank you, sir. All right, Roger. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. Oh, I got a lot of nice calls right off the bat. I'm telling you. I I talk too fast. (laughs) Daniel, if you call right back, we'll put you straight up to the top of the list. Yeah, I got to jack my jaw a little bit too fast there. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good call about the batteries. And a lot of folks do not realize that a battery today does a whole lot more 
Then, right, then, then just start to. the car. Yeah, right. you, you basically just start the car, and that was about it. Right, and the alternator kept it charged up. Well, and a few lights at. once the alternator started charging, I mean, you could basically disconnect the battery car and just keep on running just fine. Sure. Now, you don't do that today. No. No, if you, you do that today, you're in trouble. Yeah, you probably bought a PCM. <laughs> yeah, or an uh, alternator. Yeah, or both. When you disconnect the battery now, it's going to take the buffer out of the system, which is a necessary part, and you're going to end up kicking your voltage way, way high, possibly damaging several components. But the point is that the the battery actually subsidizes the alternator under many conditions because today's cars draw so much electrical power. Right. When an alternator is at an idle, it can't really put out but maybe 25 or 30% of its rated capacity. Say you've got a 100-amp alternator. Okay. Make the math a little easier. Well, at a 600 RPM idle, it may only produce about 30 or 40 amps at most. Right. When you get to 2,000 RPM, which is normal driving time, now it's producing 100 amps. But let's say you're sitting at a red light, and the car is out of idle. You've got the air conditioner on. You have the headlights on. Maybe you have the rear window defroster on. That you're car drawing. is drawing more amperage than the alternator can put out. Right. The so extra it, current is coming out of the battery. Correct. It's subsidizing the alternator. That's why, under certain conditions, if you don't drive a car a whole lot, you can actually end up with a dead battery, even though you drive it every day. If you don't drive it enough. Drive it right far enough or fast enough, right you can conditions. actually discharge the battery and end up with a dead battery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. Omar, good morning, Omar. Good morning, my friend. Yes, sir. I appreciate the, the education. I'm a mechanic, but I appreciate the education that well, thank I get you, sir. you guys. Yes, sir. Listen here. I'm buying a 93 Mercedes-Benz 190E. Mm-hmm. Okay, my former employer is giving it to me for $1,500. Okay. Besides the price, I think that's more than fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, what should I do once I get that? Should I change the oil and tune it up? Because it runs real good right uh, now. Omar, has the car been sitting or not being used? It hasn't been used. Has not been used, yes, sir. It's been sitting on a lot. Okay, Omar, I would probably go ahead and replace all of the fluids in the car, depending on how long it's been sitting. It's been sitting for a couple, three or four years. I would go ahead and replace all of the fluids in the car. I'd replace the oil. I'd probably replace the transmission fluid, the brake fluid, and the power steering fluid at a very minimum. Just because all of those oils, when they sit, they tend to contaminate. Moisture gets into them, and the cost of replacing them, particularly if you can do it yourself, is very, very, very low relative to the things they're protecting. Okay, how do you feel about a tune-up and replacing the plugs and the plug wires? That's not going to be as important no more, simply because spark plugs don't care about time. They only care about how many times they fire. They have fired uh-huh. 40, 50, 60, 70,000 miles, pick a number, they're going to wear out. But if they just sit there, they don't really don't do anything. They don't wear out, as opposed to fluids that sit there and absorb moisture, so they wear out even though they're not being used. The same thing with rubber components, like, for instance, belts and hoses. They really don't care a whole lot whether they're being used or whether they're just sitting there. So they are more time conscious. Kind of like your plug wires. Yeah, your plug wires would be more critical than your spark plugs. I would probably pull out a couple of the spark plugs, maybe one on each bank, measure the gap on it. If the gap is good and the insulator looks good, I probably would leave them alone. If the gap is worn, then yeah, sir, go ahead and change them. But stuff like the plug wires are going to be much more of an issue simply because they're rubber and rubber deteriorates over time whether they're used or not. Okay, well, then that's what I'll do. I'll just uh, change out all the fluids because I, I don't know how long the car's been sitting on the lot. Well, and it just doesn't make sense to, to risk that. One big, big thing, Omar, go ahead and change that antifreeze or coolant in there because that's probably one of the most important fluids on a car. 
it okay. starts to become real corrosive over time. And it'll start eating up stuff like radiators and heater cores and a lot of real expensive parts. So get that swapped out. And when you do, go ahead and use distilled water. In other words, drain it all out, mix it in a container before you put it in, 50-50, distilled water and antifreeze, and then put that into the car. Don't pour the antifreeze in and pour the water on top. Okay. 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 All right. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Omar. Good luck to you, man. Hi. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Daniel online. Good morning, Daniel. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, how are you guys doing? Doing great, great, sir. I have a 2001 Nissan Sentra. The check engine light, engine soon, actually, it says yes, coming on, off and on for three, four months. And okay. I took it to the dealer, okay? okay. Uh-huh. They had it for a week, uh-huh. not just for that, but the other things. Uh-huh. And they put a $561 piece apart on there mm-hmm. called Mass Airflow Sensor. Okay, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And two days later. Light came back? The light came right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I would do is probably just go back to him and tell him what's happened. Daniel, there's a number of reasons something like that can happen. Number one being, of course, they may have misdiagnosed the problem, in which case you need to just rationally discuss it with them and see what they're going to do about it. Number two is another issue could have occurred in the meantime. And number three is it could have got a defective part. The level of parts that we're getting today, and this is in every brand across the board, but even a new Nissan part, you may get a defect right out of the box. I mean, they they are really, really sad. So what I would want to see, Daniel, when you got your receipt back, they should have listed a code on there that they had found. There's the what they were trying to treat with the check engine light. I'm, you looking, at, I'm looking at it right now. Like a P-O something, 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 three numbers. It'll, it'll be a P followed by four numbers. And no, I don't see that on there. Diagnosis well, for service. It's got all kinds of stuff. Right. See, the better shops are always going to list the actual code that they found and that their repair is trying to treat. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have that information, it's kind of he said, she said, so it's too late to do anything this time. But next time right. around, anytime you get a repair, you want to know specifically what code did you do this to treat? Mm-hmm. Because if you go back and the same code's in there again, hey, bang. Is it a, is it a CP number? No, it's no sir, a, it's, it's going to start with a P. Yeah, that's, that's like an internal code they use to route their right. information. Right. It'll start with a P, and then a lot of them will have a zero. It'll be a P with four digits after it, four numeric digits. What about 3313? No, no. probably not. Yeah, um, okay. But well, anyway. They said that they would, look, they would look at it again for so long, and I don't mm-hmm. understand once they diagnose it, why did, if they did a diagnosis to mm-hmm. begin with, mm-hmm. then you know, really, that should have fixed it. It's it should. $560 That's, for a part? That is correct. And I can't say that they misdiagnosed the problem because we just don't know. But, right. again, it could be that. It could also be another problem that got created when they did repair. So I wouldn't get real freaked out about it because let's say they changed the mass airflow sense, they fixed the problem, but inadvertently they bumped one of the vacuum lines, and they're old, car's old. Right, right. It, it cracked a vacuum line. Well, now you got another code. Well, there's only one check engine light. So, right, exactly. wham, it's back on. They go back, they cut the end off the back line, stick it back on, the problem's fixed. So I wouldn't get real nervous just yet. I mean, I go back, discuss it with them rationally and, and see what they say they're going to do. Now, like I said, it is possible it was misdiagnosed and there's another problem causing it. It's also possible it's just a defective part. And, again, you got to remember, they don't make the parts. They just put them on. How Would they be able to tell if it were de- uh, a defective oh, part? Oh, absolutely, yeah. If they, if they go back, run it, got the same code, they do the same test, and it says part's bad, then they just got to swap oh. it out. It's going to have a warranty on it. I mean, Nissan parts carry a year's warranty. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate it, guys, All right, very much. Thank Love you, man. Show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
right, we got to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ever plan to motor west? Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. Of course, that's area code 225 outside the local calling area, should I say. Going back to our phone lines, we've got Larry online. Good morning, Larry. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, great, man. Good morning. 03 uh, Chrysler Town and Country Van. Uh huh. I got caught out of town, fuel pump went out. Okay. And I found a fella to uh, change it okay. in, uh, in town. Everything works good except the gas gauge. Okay. When I first turn it on, the gas gauge goes up, stays on for about 30 seconds, and uh-huh. comes back down. Huh. Drive about uh, 15 or 20 miles, and it'll start working. Okay, and it was not doing that before he changed the pump? No. Larry, I would want to see if that pump, the replacement pump, came with a new sender unit. A lot of them do, and if so, it's probably a defective sender unit okay. just from the way it's it's working. If it were unplugged or not plugged in correctly, then it wouldn't work at all or it would always do the same thing. Okay. That sounds like a wire or something in the little potentiometer that gets hot and it makes, and when it gets cold, it breaks or something to that effect. Ask him if the, if the unit that he installed came with the whole module. If so, I get him to replace it again because it's probably defective. Like we said so many times on, on the Automotive Hour, you would not believe the number of defective parts we get today. One or two Can a day. Just a sending unit or the whole thing? I just replace the whole module again. It should be under some kind of a warranty, but that is so falling down common to get defective stuff nowadays. Right. I mean, practically everything's made offshore, and who knows where. Even if you buy a part from Chrysler, you may get a defective part. And if you yeah. buy an aftermarket one, you can almost count on it. Yeah, this guy that changed it, unfortunately, is uh, he's a small-time mechanic. He's developed cancer. And not oh, goodness. Anything, so. Yeah, you're just going to have to ask him where he got it. If nothing else, possibly you can get a receipt for him. You can go swap the part out and save that money and, and get someone else to change it for you. Right. Uh, you know, that's all the sort of stuff that happens. But I would almost bet on a defective sender unit just from the you know, symptoms you're giving me. No brown wire would do it anything. Well, it could, but it would probably not come back. It would just stay off. Okay. I mean, I would certainly check the ground, the connection and make sure when he unplugged the connector, if he got a little bit rough with it, they're kind of fragile, and you can spread the connectors and cause issues like that. But generally, they're not going to come back. They're just going to always do whatever they're going to do. That or he, maybe one of the connectors got pushed back out of the – one of the wires the got push, pushed out the back of the connector. 
and right. it's just barely making the or something like that. The little terminals in there, sometimes they're in a little plastic connector. When you plug them together, it can actually push the connector out the back and just barely touches. So certainly it wouldn't hurt to have that checked. Can I get to that without dropping the tank? I don't think so. Not on a town and country, I don't believe. I don't know that you have to take tank completely out, but you're probably going to have to at least lower it down where you can reach up a over the top of it because I, I, the fuel pump's on the top yeah. of the tank and little leads I don't think are long enough to come all the way out of the tank. Right. All right, man. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, Larry. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Hi. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we have got Jeff online. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, good morning. Yes, good sir. morning. I've got an 05 Honda Element. Uh-huh. And when I fill it up at the station uh-huh. and the gas nozzle clicks off, yes, sir. it's still got about... Four gallons I can put in. It's got such a long gas filler that I'm just curious, am I doing any damage to that vehicle? I go ahead and put more gas in and kind of fill it right up. You can do damage with that, Jeff. Some cars and some gas pumps are more sensitive than others. Some of them will cut off. I know I travel a lot, so I burn a lot of gas, and I also go to a lot of different gas stations. I've seen some of them that when they cut off, you can still put five, six gallons of gas in there. Other ones, I mean, it's practically running out the nozzle before they cut off. Right. And the car itself can do that. Now, if you're actually overfilling the tank, there is a part in there called a charcoal canister that acts sort of like a buffer. And you can back gas up. It can go into the charcoal canister and ruin it. And that is an expensive component. So most of the stuff that I've read said, hey, when it cuts off, go ahead and cut it off. But I'm kind of like you. I like to get the last little bit in there so I don't have to stop again too soon. Yeah, it's like four or five gallons. Yeah, that's a lot. And it does it consistently at different fuel stations. You try uh, different stations or you usually go yeah, to one place. just about everyone does it that the way. The same way. Yeah, well, that's probably something in the car. It could be there is a hose that goes to the top of that filler neck that actually helps to control that. That hose could be partially pinched or restricted. Just a rubber hose and it vents air from the tank to the top of the nozzle so that you don't see what happens when you start putting gas in, air's got to come out. And right. if that air comes back up the tube, it's going to hit that nozzle and cut you off. So what they do is they put a hose that comes from the top of the tank up to the top of the neck. You'll see it if you look down in the neck above where the nozzle goes in so the air can come out there. And if that hose becomes restricted in any way, sometimes it'll get pinched or who knows what. And if that happens, it'll start cutting off real frequently. I actually have two of the Honda Elements, and they both act the same way. Yeah, and it may just be the nature of that vehicle. Some cars, some car types, just the design, that's just how they work. If you want to go ahead and top it off, just keep in mind how much gas the car actually holds. And don't what you don't want to do is overfill the tank to the point that gas runs off into the charcoal canister. Exactly. But, I mean, if you know it can hold five more gallons, you put four, you're good. And what's with all the air bubbles coming out of the fuel when you fill? It's like it's, I'm paying for all this air instead of fuel. <laughs> well, supposedly, gas is sold by volume, and all that is calculated in, but who knows, man? Right. All righty. Thank you so much. Okay, Jeff. Right. appreciate being on the Automotive Hour. Well, I appreciate you, sir. Bye-bye. I want to report on the Automotive Hour. We would love to have you. And we've got Richard on the line. Good morning, Richard. Morning. Good morning. Yes, I'm changing the oil. Second time in my Toyota, I talked to you earlier about this about okay. the regular oil and going to mm-hmm. And I read something about oil filters. No, don't do it, man. Go to the Toyota dealer and buy your filter. 
They're not that expensive. It is a far, far superior filter than anything else you're going to find. And you know it's going to be a constant filter. Constant good filter. Right. None of this other stuff is as good as the OEM part, in my opinion. I've cut a lot of all filters open and looked inside. In fact, if you go on my site and go to the search bar and just type in the word all filter, you're going to bring up an article with some cutaway pictures showing you inside of aftermarket filters. Mm-hmm. It's just not a good deal. I think someone told me once that Toyota actually only holds one patent in the United States. All their other patents are in Japan, and that patent's on all filter. It's yeah. a real high-quality part. You can actually look at it. You can see the difference. You know, the way the O-ring is made in there, they're covered with a layer of cellophane to keep any trash getting into it. Just a very high-quality all filter. And you've got a little hologram on their box because people are trying to counterfeit them. So no. you want to buy it from a Toyota dealer. Don't buy them on eBay or any of that stuff because you're allowed to get a counterfeit filter. But they're not that expensive. They're really pretty reasonable, and they're an excellent filter. What, you know, if you like changing your own oil, probably go down there and buy half a dozen of them. They may even give you a break on the price. Throw them in the trunk and just have one when you need it. Well, I just bought this filter. Will it hurt to put it on here? Man, I would see if I couldn't get my money back on it. Go change it, exchange it for an air freshener or something. <laughs> you know, one of those little Christmas trees you have on your rearview mirror. I, I don't like them. I just don't like them. Some of them don't have drain back valves in them. You can end up with problems with your tensioners and stuff. Some of them just don't filter as well. I mean, I would go with the Toyota part. I mean, you spent a lot of money for that truck. And the reason you did was because of the quality of Toyota engineering. And you're kind of defeating the purpose you bought the truck for when you start putting aftermarket stuff on it. Okay, well, I don't have a choice, really. I just drained all of it and pulled the filter off. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just change it out again. Maybe put it on there, and as soon as you can get a Toyota filter, just take the filter off and change just the filter. And then okay. top the oil back off. Top it off, yeah. So this 1195 filter is not as good? Or no. Even no, sir, no, not at all. I mean, that's why I said I'd see if I couldn't get my money back on it, man. Right. You can buy a Toyota filter for about five bucks. Yeah. Okay, well, thank Alrighty. you. Okay, right, Richard, sir. thank you, man. Bye-bye. Alright, we gotta take a quick little break. David, hang on, you're gonna be straight up after this break. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> But you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. With the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise of the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot to Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, it's Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 225 outside of our calling area. We would appreciate hearing from you. And we're going right back to our lines. David's been patiently holding. Good morning, David. Hey, Louis. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I've got a 1990 Lincoln Town call. Okay. And automatic transmission, uh-huh. 302 V8. Yes, sir. The outer shaft that goes into the torque converter is, is snapping half. Okay, yeah, that does happen on them sometimes. 
I'm just wondering, how difficult is it to, to, to change that shaft? Not terribly, David. I mean, you got to pull the transmission out the car, obviously. Yeah, well, I've take, already got it out. Yeah, yeah I take torque converter out, and I think it just pulls right on out. Now, you might want to make sure that something didn't cause it to break, like a pump locked up or something like that. Now, you would have to remove the pump. That also comes out the front. Yeah, that front pump looks like it's got about eight or ten bolts that hold it. Yeah, down. that's correct. Now, you got to be a little careful because when you pull it out, some other stuff can kind of fall out of place in there. And I'm getting a little bit out of my area of expertise. Josh yep. Wilson's a guy, if he was on the show, he could answer that for you. I tell you, if you want to fire off an email to me, when I get back to the shop Monday, I can ask Josh and tell him for sure. I would probably at least want to change that front seal and check that pump and check the torque converter just yes, to make sure that one of those didn't cause that, that well, shaft I'll tell to break. I'll tell you what I think made it break. I, mm-hmm. was, I pulled that transmission out to change that rear freeze plug behind okay. the engine. Yes, sir. And when I was putting it back in, I was do, working by myself uh-huh. with the floor jack, and I got it about halfway up, and it fell off the jack. Uh-oh. So I'm pretty sure that's what busted. Could very well have. I know some of the Ford products, like your Ford, the little Taurus and the Tempo and the, the Sable and all that family has a real yes. problem breaking that shaft. Really? But now, okay. that particular transmission, I think that's a 470W in that one? Um, I am A-O-D-E. not sure. Or A- AODE, maybe? It's not a real it's big a transmission. Right. Those main, I've not heard of a lot of trouble with those breaking that shaft. But again, something could have caused it. Just kind of check everything. Make sure if you take the new shaft, stick it down there, just kind of turn the pump, make sure it turns free. Stick mm-hmm. the other end of the torque converter, turn it, make sure it turns free. If everything turns free, you could probably just change it. You know, of course, go ahead and change that seal in the front. And it's gonna now, be if a, I pull that if I pull that front pump out, is, is stuff gonna come out of there that I can't get back in? <laughs> I don't think so, but I don't know that for sure. Like I said, yes, it's sir, just a little okay. out of my feel. Sure. Certainly stand it up on its end when you do it, and I think yep. there's a big O ring around that pump, maybe a gasket under it. You're uh-huh. gonna change those. Also check the the snout on that torque converter, make sure it's not rough or anything, because yep. those do tend to get rough when the bushing wears out and they'll start chewing stuff up. Uh-huh. Now, if you could wait till Monday, I'll be glad to ask Josh about it and, and find out for sure. But uh, if, if you're in a rush to get it done. Sounds like I might better just take it to a transmission shop. That, it um, wouldn't no, no really hurt to, to bring it by somebody and at least let them look at it. I don't know if anybody's open on Saturday, but there might be no, somebody. But, do y'all work on those things, uh, Lewis? Yes, sir, we do. I could give you some advice on it. We don't actually work on units that are out of the car. We just strictly work on stuff in the car. Right, But right. if nothing else, I can get Josh to look at it and give you some advice on it. Yes, sir. Okay, well, listen, I sure appreciate your help. All eh? right, sir. Thank y'all you. have a good day. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to report on the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Brian. Good hey, morning. Man. Hey, I've got a 2000 Caravan. Uh-huh. Speaking of smells, uh-huh. i got to change the heater core in. All right, sir. Big job. Yeah. Oh, I've been in there before. I had to change the evaporator. <laughs> oh, course. well, yeah. You, you've been there right at yeah. it. But anyway, my question was, who would you recommend to get that core from, the dealer? Steve, I don't know that the core that the dealer sells is a whole lot better than anybody else's. Uh-huh. Normally, I do like buying OEM parts. But on heater cores, i got to say, I've looked at the Chrysler unit. I've looked at the aftermarket ones, and I had not seen a dime's worth of difference. I don't think Chrysler makes it anyway. I think they buy it from Harrison or one of those guys. Uh-huh. If you can find one that's made out of copper instead of one that's made out of aluminum, and there are some out there, I feel that's probably a little better deal. Okay. Now, if you got some smell in there, Steve, what happens on the Chrysler's, they're real bad about this. There's a bunch of foam rubber in there, seals here and there and yonder. Mm-hmm. When that stuff soaks into that seal... It starts mildewing, and it will stink to high heavens. 
And unless you get all that foam rubber out and replace it, even though you get the, the core fixed, you still can have an awful lot of smell in there. Okay. Well, it's more or less, you, you know that sweet smell when that... Uh, yes, sir. Yes, right. sir. If that's all you got is the antifreeze smell, that will go away once the problem is fixed. But I have seen where the antifreeze or the water from the evaporator will soak into that foam rubber, and, boy, it'll start mildewing, and it just it just reeks. And you can't really stay in the car, and you can't get it out. I mean, while you're there, all that uh-huh. stuff's sitting right there. Yes. So... You can actually buy all those seals. You can buy a seal kit from Chrysler. I want to say it's 50, 60 bucks for all the rubber seals and, and just change them. Or you might just go to an air conditioning supply house and see if you can get some foam rubber and work it that way if you prefer. But I would probably change all those seals just because they've been wet and may have some mildew developing, even if it's not doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want any problems after I put Well, yeah, it's in. a big job getting mm-hmm. that dash out of there and putting it back in. You want to go ahead and head off any problems you can. Yeah. Uh, one other thing about sure. that. I heard you mention in the past, and I want to check to make sure it's not a problem, mm-hmm. electrolysis. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the procedure for that? Best bet on that, Steve, before you start, uh-huh. go get a voltmeter and put one lead to the ground terminal on your battery uh-huh. and drop the other one down into the neck of the radiator Okay. with in, the car running. Into the coolant. Don't let it touch the sides of the radiator housing or the fins in the bottom. That's yeah, right. Okay. Just, just in the coolant. Okay. And if you're producing more than about a half a volt, there's going to be some electrical charge there. But if uh-huh. you've got more than about a half a volt, you probably have a problem. And most of the time, that is what they call a transient ground. Uh-huh. One other thing that you can do, you can put a voltmeter or an amp meter is even better across, you know, touch the battery terminal itself and then go to the engine block with the other lead. Mm-hmm. So as you're reading across the cable, and crank yeah. the car and see if it reads. And if the cables are good, it should not read. Okay. If the cables are inferior, which if someone's ever cut the end off the cable and put those little clamp-on ends on there, mm-hmm. that is one of the number one causes of that. Okay. You can either go ahead and replace the cables, which, well, on that one you can't because you've got to buy a whole wiring harness to get it. You can bring it to us <laughs> and we can crimp you a new end, a factory end on it. Chrysler doesn't sell the battery cables. They're part of the of the engine Wire harness. harness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. about a three hundred dollar deal. It takes about ten hours to change. So. <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah, we've got a machine that will actually crimp a new end on it. If the cable's too short, we can even lengthen the cable. But anytime you go to that vehicle with a voltmeter, mm-hmm. make sure it's a digital voltmeter. Yeah, yeah I've got don't, a digital voltmeter. Okay, right. Great. Most people still do, but there are some of the analogs still floating around out there. Yeah. And you really shouldn't be using that on a, a new vehicle. Yeah, that can all. actually cause some issues. But, yeah, see if you got any kind of current flow. Because whenever a heater core goes out, there's generally a reason. Uh-huh. The heater core should last life of the car. Yeah. yeah. And generally, it's either going to be electrolysis, improperly mixed coolant where some corrosion is going on. Uh-huh. Or it's got some type of abrasive in the cooling system. And you got to remember, if, if you ever go down to a department store and buy some sandpaper and look on the back of it, it says aluminum oxide. Yeah. yeah. That's what sandpaper is. Well, mm-hmm. when that cooling system starts to oxidize, that's what it's producing is aluminum oxide. Oh. And so you got an abrasive going around with your coolant. It eats right through that heater core because it's just soft, it's you know, really, thin, thin, thin stuff. really the thinnest part of the, the cooling right. system. I would get every little bit of the coolant out of there, buy the proper coolant for it. That one may take orange. It may take the green. I'm not sure. They, they well, use both. Um, actually, this is another side note on there and a word of thanks about mm-hmm. this. I recently changed the timing belt in uh-huh. there. Yes, sir. And, I, of course, I, I took your advice and I changed the water pump, too. Yes, sir. And, uh-huh. and I put the, the, the Mopar 
coolant back in okay, there good. still water. Yes, sir. So, you know, the coolant's fresh. Yeah, okay, well, if the coolant's fresh and it's done properly, look and make sure you don't have a ground lead that's either off or corroded or just not making good. Okay. And anywhere that a transient ground can pick up, go to my website and type in the word transient, and it's going to bring up a nice article, and that gives you a lot more information on the topic. Oh, okay, okay. All righty. Okay. Okay, well, I guess that plug away. At there you it. go. There you go. Good luck, Steve. Okay, thanks, Lou. All right, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to take one last little break, and we're going to be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodwich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's area code 225. Got plenty of time left. That's it. If you're going to make a call, That's now's, right. now's the time oh, yeah. to do it. Plenty of time and all lines wide open. Go ahead and give us a call. I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. This call was a good one. He's talking a little bit about electrolysis, and that is one of those really, really mysterious things. can be extremely difficult to hunt down. Oh, yes. And anything on the car where electricity is flowing where it shouldn't, what happens is that the engine is mounted on blocks of rubber to insulate the vibrations of the engine. Uh So it is electrically insulated from the car. And there are ground cables that electrically connect it to the rest of the car. But what happens, since the starter motor is mounted to the engine, and it is a huge drawer of electricity. Correct. It may pull 175 amps. Let's say you go and you cut the ends off your cables like people do, and they put those little bolt-on battery terminals in on the Which end of it. They are classified as a temporary, temporary end. That's right. But they sometimes end they up They become permanent. <laughs> and what happens is, let's say that end is only capable of transmitting 150 amps of current. Uh-huh. Well, when you start cranking the car, the starter's pulling 175. 25 amps has to come from somewhere. That's right. Now, if the engine is insulated, it's going to start trying to find a source to suck that extra power. It can actually suck it through the coolant because coolant will conduct electricity under extreme conditions. Uh-huh. And when it does, it's going to start to eat up parts of the system, the aluminum parts particularly. And what happens to make it worse is that when you start to oxidize these aluminum parts, you create aluminum oxide, which is an abrasive, which makes the situation even worse. Correct. You can actually total a vehicle. Oh, yeah. We had a gentleman, this has been many years ago, who had a Suburban who was eating heater cores and radiators. I mean, he would go through about two heater cores a year, Uh about every six months, and probably one or two radiators a year. 
And I remember that. He was saying, oh, man, these junk radiators. I said, well, it's not the radiators. you got something going on here. So finally brought it to us, started checking. There was definitely a transient going on in there. What we eventually found is that he had changed the temperature sender unit. And when he did, he took Teflon tape and wrapped the threads trying to seal them. Right. And when he screwed it in, it basically insulated that sensor so that it acted like an electrode sticking into the coolant. And that was conducting the electricity and uh-huh. eating all this stuff up. <laughs> and so what we did, took it out, wire brushed the threads out, screwed it back in, current, current draw goes away. He says, oh, that ain't it. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait till you got a warranty and put some more tape on it. There you go. <laughs> but he called me back about a year later. So that was it because it never has done it again. That's so, great. Yeah, it can be real, real hard to find that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, especially on today's modern vehicles. Right, but until you do, you're going to start eating heater cores and eating radiators. And the heater core is smaller than the radiator, much thinner. So that's one of the first parts that it does it. But it can actually eat the intake gas, eat the head gas, oh, yeah. eat, eat the whole car away. Yeah, eat so. the part of the heads up oh yeah the it, surfaces it can and, cause a oh, tremendous a mess. tremendous amount of damage let's go back to our phone lines we got chip online good morning chip hey good morning guys thanks for taking my call yes, sir good morning show. I, li- I try to listen to it every saturday well, great thank you uh, i've got an 88 volvo uh-huh. and truly you've heard this old saying before the little old lady from pasadena uh-huh this car is a one owner yes sir it was p- passed along to me from a friend of mine his mother went through a succession she died uh-huh. and he knows i love cars here I am with the car. It's sat since night, since 2003. So uh-huh. the first thing I did is I pulled the tank. Yes, sir. And I noticed when I pulled the sending unit out as we dropped the tank. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this before, but the top of the sending unit was rusted out. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. There's a ring. Per- I took the ring off, and I go, man, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. $748. That's right. It's a Bosch unit. Yes, sir. Get- All right, so I got a new I got a new fuel pump. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my question. Is it a plastic a tank in a chip? Sir? It's a plastic tank, plastic gas tank? Yes, sir, it is. Yeah, that, that's what causes that. That's correct. Okay, uh, so I go to the salvage yard, and I got a seven, a 90 model 760 sending unit. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Here's the difference, though. It has three wires coming in, which is your power, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a, a snap connection. Mm-hmm. Outside of the three wires, there is a separate ground wire on the 88 Volvo's unit. The uh-huh. 90 unit has an integrated ground. Okay. Uh, my question is, is, can I make that work with the wiring? Man, I'm really not sure, Chip. I don't work on European cars, so I couldn't tell you specifically how it is, but you need to get a wiring diagram and research that real carefully because yeah. you can get into a lot, a lot of trouble if, there's, if they change something in their circuitry. You can, you can back up a ground where you shouldn't and actually knock out a PCM or something like that, end up with some big, yeah. big, big repairs on your hand. What, well, uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that advice, but this is one of those cars that's, I guess, worth spending a little money for. I mean, yes, it's got 42,000 uh-huh. miles on Yes, sir. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heed that advice, and I appreciate it. And, guys, uh, keep, on the, uh, keep on with the uh, great work on the show. Okay? Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Yeah, you know, something like that, you'd almost have to get a wiring diagram and see exactly what they what it is they changed right. and why they changed it because they could also have changed the sender unit itself. One may be digital, one may be analog or something uh-huh. like that, and it's going to kind of go berserk when you plug the other one in there. And, and somewhere around those two years, everything changed. Yeah. You know, yeah. all you big manufacturers changed body styles in that period time of time. Frame. Mm-hmm. And, man, it's just, like you said, you're going to have to find a wiring diagram and, and sit down and figure it out. Right, really study it. Or find someone who's familiar with it. You might find a Volvo expert. Uh, and there are some around, guys who just work on that, who may know. You know if you're asking me about a Chevy pickup, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those I know because we work on the domestic and the Asian cars. 
But when it comes to European stuff, my lim- my knowledge is limited to the suspension and the brakes on them. I know a lot about that. And, I mean, I can do antifreeze or something like that on most of them or maybe an air-conditioned job or transmission service. But much beyond that, you're getting out of what you – know, we don't work on them, so I just right. don't know enough about them to – to know enough intelligently about comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> that situation he's describing where that Cindy unit rusts out, what happens is that because the tank is plastic, it does not conduct electricity. Correct. So when you start to get any moisture in that tank, again, it's almost like electrolysis. You start setting up an electrical field there. The only metal thing in that tank is that Cindy unit. Yeah, correct. So it acts almost like an anode. It just multiplies the force goes to it. Way more than if it was in a metal tank, it would have been balanced out throughout the entire tank. You'd have a little bit of rust all over. But when you've got a plastic gas tank, all of the corrosion is going to go to that one metal part. Right. And I've seen, just like Chip said, it will literally eat it in half. Oh, yeah. We had a Corvette come in. Sure did. Yeah. In fact, I still got that fuel pump underneath the counter. I pull it out and show it to folks every once in a while. And they started using ethanol fuel in it, which attracted moisture. It was an old car it sat a lot. And, right. I mean, it literally ate the fuel pump in half. Oh, it did. Boy, that, that was amazing when he pulled it out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it acts like an anode because it can't conduct electricity anywhere else. It all goes through that one spot. Uh-huh. And, see, this could even be something they were trying to prevent by moving the ground, the ground somewhere else. Correct. And if you hook the ground back to it, you may actually end up with the same situation again. Right. So you got to be kind of careful about that sort of stuff. Hey, let's go back to the phone lines. Larry, good morning, Larry. Hey, I've got a question. It's probably going to seem like a very small question, but please don't laugh. I promise uh, I won't. I got a 2006 Mazda Tribute with oh. the four-cylinder. Uh-huh. Here's the issue. I check my oil kind of regularly, uh-huh. but, and every time I, I, it's been just been sitting, and I pull up the dipstick, it says it's low on oil. Okay. I wipe the dipstick off. I put it back in. I pull it out. It says it's full of oil. Which one am I supposed to believe? The full one, because okay. all can go down on the stick, but it can't really go up. up the stick. It could possibly be the stick is maybe working its way up that tube just a little bit for some reason. Yeah. And when you pull it the first time, it's not pushed all the way down. Next time you check it, Larry, try this. Try before you pull the stick out, push down on it. Okay. And see if maybe it moves down a half inch or so. Okay. It could be some pressure building up in the crankcase is kind of pushing that stick out. So when you pull it the first time, you're not getting an accurate reading. Okay. You know, the stick has moved up, so the reading moves down. Okay. Because it's kind of, it's, it's sort of kind of intuitive. You know, it's been sitting there. Right. That's right. Old- that's right. And I'm thinking it's probably the stick during driving is either blowing up or possibly vibrating up. Okay. Raises the stick, which drops the level. The second time around, obviously, you're pushing the stick all the way in, so now you're getting an accurate reading. But next time around, just try pushing down on that stick before you take it out. Good enough. And see if that changes it. Hey, Larry, if that is the case, you might want to consider changing the PCV valve in that engine. Okay. Because that's a little cheap part that keeps it from building up pressure in the engine. Exactly. Because if it is doing that, it can also blow out the rear main seal and some other stuff that'll cost you a bunch of money. So yeah, I don't want that. Better to spend ten bucks on a PCV valve than a thousand bucks on a rear main uh, seal. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Larry. Into it. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Bye bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, I think if you call real fast, probably sneak another call in there. Maybe one more. That's right. Just had to be quick. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick, like a little bunny, huh? Yeah, that PCV valves can do that. If they start to partially restrict, you can build some pressure in the crankcase. Right. And that cap generally has some type of a seal in it at the top to keep dirt and stuff from getting drawn in. If the engine starts to build any pressure, it acts like a piston. It just kind of eases on out. Well, right. 
you don't see it. You grab the stick, you pull it out. But as the stick moves up, all stays the same level, so the reading goes down. Correct. And it will just drain back down to that level overnight, so you won't have any residual on your stick. You pull it out, and it looks like it's low. Mm-hmm. You dry it off, you stick it back in again. Well, this time it's getting all the way seated. When you pull it back up the second time, now you're getting the actual read, so it looks like it went up. That can be confusing. It can. You don't think about all the things that are going on. But I have seen that kind of stuff happen in the past. Right. Dipsticks can, can really kind of fool you. I had one one time that the tube was actually loose in the engine block. And when you pull a stick out, sometimes the tube would actually come, come up. <laughs> yeah. So you'd always get a different reading every time you check it. <laughs> and uh, like it drove me crazy until I finally figured out what was going on because you couldn't see it happening. But I, it eventually I pulled a stick out. and the stick uh, the yeah, tube came with The whole thing came out. So. <laughs> Hey, y'all, tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening to the Automotive Hour this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Right. Go to iTunes and give us a rating. That's right. If you like the show, give us a good rating. If you don't like the show, don't go there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Go Tigers.